You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Good evening, Revolution Church. Right on. So, there is no guest preacher this evening. You guys are stuck with me, right? Right, yeah, thank you all. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, no, that's actually one of the beautiful things about being uh, the pastor of a church. Whenever you're putting a sermon series together, you get to pick what you want to preach on. Um, so I picked my favorite doctrine, right? So this is going to be a good time. Uh, so if you're here with us and you've not been here for the last few weeks, we are continuing our series uh, the month of October celebrating 500 years of Reformation. This is my favorite month out of the year. Right? October 31st, 1517, a German monk with a mallet named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and accidentally and unintentionally started a revolution. Right? He did not mean to do what he did, but thank God he did it. All right? And to celebrate this anniversary of Reformation, this anniversary of our split from the Roman Catholic Church and the rediscovery of gospel truth for the church... We are looking at the five core doctrines that defined the Reformation. We're looking at the five solas, or if you're pretentious, the five sole. Uh, come on. Whatever. Um, tonight, again, like I said a minute ago, we're going to look at my favorite doctrine, sola fide. Right? And I know not a lot of you speak Latin. That's faith alone. Right? We're going to talk about the, just, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So we've got... Uh, a serious lot of ground to cover, significant. Uh, So we're just going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into this doctrine of justification. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for the fact that your word is clear to us. Thank you for the men and women who gave their lives that we might have a copy of your word in our native language. Thank you for the men and women who gave their lives over the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But God, above all, thank you for for making it so that we receive the work of Christ on, what the work of Christ done on our behalf by faith alone. God, thank you for that truth because outside of it we have no hope because we're sinners who cannot keep your law. Holy Spirit, please press this truth on everyone here. If we have unbelievers in attendance, Holy Spirit, please bring them from death to life and let them see the truth of the gospel. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me, uh, let me start this off. Uh, I don't know all of you. Uh, my name is David, and I'm the teaching pastor here. And I want to say this before we get into this, because I'm going to say some pretty harsh things. Um, if you are Roman Catholic, or you are formerly Roman Catholic, or you have Roman Catholic family or Roman Catholic friends, I want you to know that I love you and I love them. Seriously, I mean that. Um, we are Protestant here. Technically, we are Reformed Baptists, or rather, to be specific, we're Reformed Baptists here. Uh, and what we're celebrating this month is our break from the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago. But I want you to know that you and your friends and your family, you're all welcome here, and we love you. Um, we disagree with and rail against Roman Catholicism, but not Roman Catholics. You feel me on that? And that would actually be a good note for a lot of us to remember, is we love people, right? Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against principalities and rulers, right? We fight against concepts and spiritual things, not people. So Roman Catholics are not the enemy, okay? But we do detest Roman Catholicism here at Revolution Church. So with that being said, let's get into this. 
I just wanted to make that clear because uh, I've been accused of being a jerk before. I don't know why. Um, all right, so justification by faith alone was the material cause of the Reformation. Right, that doctrine was the material cause of the Reformation. That is to say, it was the heartbeat of the Reformation. All right? and, and honestly, still today, it is the heartbeat and pulse of true biblical Christianity. Right? But I know I've just used the word justification quite a few times. Not a lot of you uh, are necessarily familiar with that word or theological terms. Uh, it's a good Bible word. Right? Uh, if it's, a, it's in a, any good Bible translation. It'll have the word justify, justify, justification. And if you have a Bible that doesn't have that word in it, come to me and I will give you a proper one. Uh, but what is justification? Uh, justification, essentially, is to be declared righteous by God. To be declared righteous by God. To be made right with Him. To have our sins pardoned by God and to be reconciled to Him. To be made right with God. Again, it's a good Bible word. Don't lose that word. Justification. Um, So the core question that the Reformers were trying to answer in the Reformation was this. What must a person do to be justified? What must a person do to be saved? Because those who are justified are saved from the wrath of God. So that's essentially what they're asking. What do we have to do to be saved? What do we have to do to be made right with God? And to understand and appreciate the biblical Protestant position, I think it'll be good for us to spend five minutes or so talking about the Roman Catholic view of justification. Now, I want to say this before I get into this. There are some nuances to this view, and I recognize that. I don't want to make a caricature of Catholicism and their doctrine of justification. Um, But I'm just going to give you a core summary, in a nutshell, the Catholic view of justification so we can get on with this. Here here we go. Uh, First off, your baptism is what initially justifies you. It's what initially makes you right with God. You're baptized, you're sprinkled, and in that, God infuses grace into your soul And you are made right with Him. He infuses righteousness and infuses grace into you. And now you are right with Him. And after your baptism, you know, you grow up, because they usually sprinkle their babies, um, that you grow up and you live a life of obedience to God, taking the sacraments, walking in obedience to the commands of God and the Bible. And in doing so, you merit right standing with God. In doing so, you merit more and more righteousness with God. Because, as Stephen's going to talk about next week, God, in the Catholic view, won't declare you righteous until you are righteous. So you do works of righteousness, building your right standing with God. And, as you live, as we've all found out as Christians and non-Christians, you're going to end up sinning, right? And if you sin in a really bad way, if it's a bad enough sin, it kills your justification, Right? It, it, undo, it undoes your justification. That's why they call it mortal sin. It kills the grace of God within you. It kills your right standing with Him. And now you need re-justified. Okay, so you would think you get baptized again. But nope, they got that one right. Only one baptism. So now what they do is you go to confession. Right? You enter into another sacrament called penance. And you guys have seen this on films. You know, Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. They go in the confessional booth, confess to a priest... Uh, and, and, in, and in defense of Catholicism, you must have a repentant heart when you do this. You can't just go in and do the ritual, but you have to have contrition uh, whenever you go to the priest and, and confess your sins. And then he'll tell you, in the name of God, I absolve you. And then he'll give you a work of penance to do to complete this sacrament and get your justification back. And this work of penance will be usually prayers or giving money to the poor. right? Like you've heard this say, five Hail Marys and two Our Fathers, right? which is the Lord's Prayer. Um, and then after you do that work of penance, you're good to go. You're justified, again. 
right? And then you, the cycle starts over again. And then you obey God and merit righteousness with Him until you screw up and lose your justification and have to start the cycle all over again and on and on and on and on and on. And if you ask an honest Catholic, they'll tell you this, they don't know if they're going to die in a justified state. They don't know if they're going to go to heaven when they die. They're not entirely sure. They hope so, but if they commit a mortal sin and then die, that's, that's it for them. They're going to hell. Um, now, I want to be clear about this. Catholicism does not teach... Again, we want to be fair. We don't want to make a straw man argument against people. Um, in Catholicism, they do not teach salvation by works alone. They don't believe that just doing rituals saves you. They don't believe that just following these rules save you. Um, they believe that you must have faith in Christ. But faith alone is not enough. That's textbook Catholic position. They say faith is necessary, but not sufficient. All right? Think of oxygen right, and fire. You have to have oxygen in order for there to be a fire, but oxygen by itself won't create a fire or this entire building would be up in flames. Right? <laughs> so oxygen is necessary, but not sufficient to have a fire. That's how they view faith. Faith is necessary for salvation, but by itself, it will not get you salvation. It must be supplemented with works and sacraments. So essentially, Roman Catholicism teaches faith plus works and sacraments equals justification, equals right standing with God. And here's what the Protestants were teaching over against that, and you guys probably know this one well. Faith alone in Christ alone equals justification. These two positions are radically different. Like You can see that just in the wording there. Faith alone in Christ alone equals justification. The Protestants were teaching, this is our family, the Protestants were teaching that Christ's work in His life, death, and resurrection is sufficient by itself to save sinners. That Christ obeyed God's law perfectly on behalf of God's people. And then Christ, after a life of perfect obedience, offered Himself as a sacrifice on the cross, taking the full weight and wrath of God the Father on Himself for the sins of His people. His active and passive obedience. I'm stepping all over what Steve's going to preach on next week. But that, that work of Christ in His obedience and His suffering in our place for our sin is then given to the believer solely by faith. Now, we are not justified because of our faith. I want to make that clear. You're not saved because of your faith. You are saved by Christ. You're justified by what Christ has done, not because of your faith. Faith is the instrumental cause. It's, the, it's merely an instrument by which we receive the work of Christ done on our behalf. So in essence, the Protestants were teaching, we are made right with God by trusting that Jesus Christ has made us right with God. It's simple. And that this justification has come to us apart from any works of obedience to God on our behalf whatsoever, sola fide, by faith alone. Okay? But let's stop for a minute. I know I just gave you guys like an eight-minute history lesson on Catholicism versus Protestantism and a good systematic theology lecture, Right? But were the Protestants right? That's the question. I mean, is it not? Were they right? Okay, great. I understand both positions now. Who was right? Were the Protestants right? Um, I'm going to say yes. Uh, I'd be kind of silly to have a tattoo about the five solas on my arm if I were wrong. Um, right? Come on, that was funny. Um, but, but to answer the question, what, what, who was right, rather? Who was right, Catholics or Protestants? We need to go to the Scriptures 
right? Because the question is, what does God himself say about justification? How has God said that man will be made right with him? And to answer that, we have to go to the Bible. Because let's be honest here, and I hope that we can get this in our heads at Revolution Church. Who cares what Martin Luther said? Who cares? Who cares what John Calvin said? Who cares what uh, Zwingli said, or uh, Sibs, or Owen, or Edwards, or Spurgeon, or any of those guys? Who cares what they said? If what a theologian says is in Scripture, we rejoice and we agree. And if it isn't, we ignore what they're saying. Scripture alone. Scripture alone. So our primary concern must always be, what does God reveal to us in His Word? Like we talked about two weeks ago, sola scriptura. And to answer that, we turn to the book of Galatians this evening. All right, and uh, this is very unreliable. Uh, this, uh, this projector is probably going to go out at some point, so feel free to use a hardback. But we are going to be going through a good bit of the book of Galatians. And my goal is to take you through different passages of this letter and show you that indeed the Protestants were right and that sola fide stands the test of Scripture. All right, but in order to do that, uh, you need some context about Galatians. Okay, so here's what's going on historically whenever Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia. And I know we've done a long introduction. I promise I'm not going to preach for another hour. Um, here's what's going on in Galatia. False teachers had popped up in the Galatian church, right? We call these people the Judaizers, right? They were the first heretics in church history, right? Which, think about that. Like, the first people since Christianity started that we just kind of looked at them and said, I didn't know that you could twist scripture to your own destruction in such a way. Like, what a title to have, the first heretics ever. Uh, But these Judaizers, right? They were Jews by birth, right? They were born Jewish. They were ethnically Jewish, probably raised Jewish. And then they claimed that they had converted to Christianity, Right? They hadn't. They were false converts and false brothers, but they were claiming to be Christians. And what they were teaching was that you had to have faith in Christ plus observe Old Testament law in order to be justified. Does that sound familiar? They were teaching that, essentially, faith was necessary but not sufficient for justification. That you needed to observe the law in order to be justified. Now I want to let you know, Paul wrote this letter to them in response to that teaching that faith plus works equals salvation. And this is Paul's angriest letter in the entire New Testament. He is furious when he writes this letter. I imagine that Paul writes this, because not only is he mad, he is heartbroken at the teaching that's going on in Galatia. I can imagine Paul writing this letter with angry tears in his eyes, because Paul is not going to tolerate this kind of teaching among the church of God. All right. But the first question I want to ask, looking through Galatians, is a question that we hear a lot. Right? A lot of people will say, does this doctrine really matter? Right? Because, again, we live in America, right? Doctrine doesn't matter. Just whatever makes you feel good. Um, Does this doctrine matter? Can good Christians disagree on the doctrine of justification? Can can, Can both sides still be faithful Christians and disagree on this? Right? Something that Protestants, or at least I've been accused of personally, is that we are just splitting hairs and being divisive unnecessarily. Is that true? Let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 to start this. That's how Paul starts his letter. I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Accursed. Anathema in Greek. Let him be damned if someone preaches another gospel to you, is what Paul says. In these three verses, Paul says there is one gospel... And that the false gospel of faith plus works of the law will get you nothing but damnation. Because remember, that's the core of what the false teachers, what the Judaizers were teaching. It'll get you nothing but damnation. There is one gospel. They're preaching another one, and it's not even really a gospel. They're just distorting the message of Jesus, is what Paul says. It's not another gospel. It's not good men can disagree and we can have differing opinions on justification. He says, no, this is a damning doctrine that they're teaching you. Verse 6 says that those who have embraced the law as part of their justification have actually deserted God. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you. You've turned your back on God by embracing this false gospel. What Paul's saying is we cannot get this doctrine wrong. That's his point. There is one gospel. Anything else is a distortion that sends people to hell. Luther understood that. Martin Luther got that. And I think that's why he said this quote most of you know. Justification by faith alone is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. Luther understood what Paul was saying here. What Luther's saying in that justification by faith alone, the church either stands or falls on that doctrine. What he's saying is that if we get this wrong, no other doctrine matters. If you get justification wrong, the Trinity doesn't matter. The inerrancy of Scripture doesn't matter. The two natures of Christ doesn't matter. Communion doesn't matter. Baptism doesn't matter. None of it matters because you're under the curse of God if you get this wrong. Nothing else matters if, this get, if we get this one wrong. So, yes, this one matters. We're not just being unnecessarily divisive. It is of eternal significance and it is of central importance to the church. But what did Paul teach about justification, right? So Paul says, if anyone teaches you anything other than what I told you from the beginning, that person is teaching a false gospel. So let's find out. What did Paul teach about justification? And keep in mind, in chapter 1, Paul also said, this is not man's gospel. I didn't make this up. I received this gospel from Jesus, right? So I have no authority to change it, is what Paul says. Galatians 2.16, let's see what gospel Paul received from Jesus. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So here, Paul is setting works of the law in direct opposition and contrast to faith. Right? We're going to read in a minute. He says, but the law is not of faith. So they're of two completely different essences, is what Paul's saying. Pick one. 
You can try to be justified by the law, or you can, try to be, you can try to be justified by faith, but you can't mix the two. He's setting them opposed to one another. It's one or the other. But the real question in understanding this verse is, what does Paul mean by works of the law? This is a really important question for us to answer. Because some people will tell you that works of the law, right? Like N.T. Wright is popping this junk off, like the new perspective on Paul. Um, the, the Roman Catholic Church pops this answer off. What does Paul mean by works of the law, they will say that that is only a reference to circumcision, right? That it's only a reference to Old Testament ceremonial law, right? And we would agree with that. Like if, if that's true, then yeah, sure, by circumcision, no one's going to be saved, right? But what does Paul mean? I would say we should let Paul define the word law for himself, right? And I think it's a lot more than just ceremonial stuff like circumcision and dietary law, and I think Paul defines it for, for us throughout the letter. I'm going to read these real quick to you. Galatians 4, 21 through 22. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. We'll stop there. The story of Abraham is in Genesis. So he says, all right, you who, who want to be under the law, what does the law say? And then he references Genesis Galatians 3.10, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. That quote in that verse is derived from Deuteronomy. So he references the law and then quotes Deuteronomy. Galatians 3.12, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Again, Paul references the law, and now he quotes the book of Leviticus. So when talking about the law, Paul, rep- Paul mentions three books from the Torah. The Pentateuch, right? the first five books of the Bible, also known in Judaism as the books of the law. right? And in those books are not just ceremonial laws. In those books are both ceremonial and moral laws. right? In Deuteronomy especially, you see the Ten Commandments repeated. Those are moral laws. Laws, like the way God wants us to live. It's not just a ceremony, but these are eternally binding laws of how we ought to live. So I would argue this. In light of the fact that Paul references the law, and he's talking about the whole Torah, I would say. He's talking about all of God's law. Ceremonial and moral. So in light of that, whenever Paul says no one is justified by works of the law, he means that nobody is made right with God by any kind of obedience whatsoever. Whether it be moral obedience, where you do the right thing and you follow the Ten Commandments and you live a good life, or whether it's obedience to the ceremonial law and you're circumcised and you don't eat pork and all that stuff. What Paul is saying is, by no obedience to God whatsoever will a man be made right with God. Nothing that a man does will set him right with God. Please hear that, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian. You cannot make God love you by your obedience to Him. You cannot avoid the wrath of God for your sin by obeying Him. You can't do it because by no law observance whatsoever will you be justified. By no law keeping at all will you be made right with God. God does not save people because they're obedient to Him. God does not save people because they're good people. Paul says that we are saved only by faith in Jesus Christ, apart from works of the law. You know, something interesting 
a little side note here. Something I found interesting when studying this is that Paul says, we just read in 2.16, no one is justified by works. That's what he just said. No one is justified by works. But for all the studying that I've done of Galatians and all the times that I've read it since I've become a Christian, uh, from what I can tell, none of the Judaizers were teaching salvation by works alone. Right? So Paul says you're not going to be saved by your works. But none of the Judaizers were teaching that you're saved only by your works. Remember, they were teaching you have to have faith in Jesus plus works. That got me scratching my head this past week when I was studying for this. Why would Paul then say that their teaching is just justification by works if that's not really what they're teaching? I think that that's because in Paul's mind, please hear me on this, in Paul's mind, to add obedience or any kind of works, to add that to faith in Christ for your justification is to say that justification is by works. As far as Paul is concerned, if you mix your obedience to God with faith in Christ for your right standing with God, you are just trying to save yourself by works. That mixing your works with faith nullifies faith. And that's because if justification is by faith plus works, and you have faith in Christ then really, your ability to obey God is the determining factor in your salvation. You see what I'm saying? That's why Paul would say, it's either all by faith or it's all by works. And if you try to mix works with faith, then you're saying that your works are the determining factor in whether or not you're going to be saved. And that's just salvation by works. As far as Paul's concerned, and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so as far as God's concerned, if you mix works with faith... You're just trying to save yourself by your obedience and you've nullified faith because you're saying your works are what's going to make the difference and that is the antithesis of faith. But why? Why can't works factor into our right standing before God? Why can't they? And please hear me on this. I know most of us know the answers to these questions but let this truth hit you again and again and again. Why can't they factor into our salvation? Why no works? Galatians 3, 10 through 12. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. So Paul says, if we, verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law, if we rely on our works, if we rely in any part, right, if we rely on our obedience to God at all, if we look to anything that we've done as grounds for our right standing with God, we have put ourselves under a curse. If you look to yourself an ounce you have put yourself under a curse. If you look to being a good person or how well you've done this or that you haven't done that, you have put yourself under a curse because the law says that unless we keep the whole law, we are under the wrath of God. That God will punish you in hell for breaking His law. 
So again, to look to the law at all for your salvation, even if it's in a small part, even if it's to your baptism or anything, to look to any kind of law-keeping whatsoever as part of the reason why God should accept you and forgive your sins is to completely subject yourselves to the demands of the law. And you cannot perfectly keep the law. And God says if you're under the law, if you subject yourself to the law, you must keep it perfectly or suffer His wrath. And you can't do it. Try. In the last five seconds, no one in this room has loved the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You have not done it. and You never will be able to do it in this life. No one in this room in their life has loved their neighbors as themselves and always done unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus says those two laws sum up everything. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor like you love yourself and none of us have done it. You cannot perfectly obey the law and if you look to the law at all, you've put yourself under the curse of the law. We're sinners. We deserve the curse of the law. I hope you understand that. The reformers understood that. And they cried out, God, I can't do it. I can't obey you. I know that I'm under the curse because I cannot keep your commandments. What can I do to be saved? Is there another way? And Paul tells us how we are justified. Paul tells us how we are, how we're taken out from under the curse of the law. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So if we look to the law, we're under the curse. But Paul says Christ Jesus redeemed us from the curse by becoming the curse. By taking our sin upon His shoulders and suffering on the tree, on the cross, for us, in our place, He has purchased us back from the demands of the law that we could not keep. This is good news. And Christ did so, so that we might receive what God promised to us justification and that we might receive it by faith in Christ. Christ has done everything for us and we receive his work by trusting him. There is no work for us to do. There is nothing for us to do to add to his work. We receive it by faith. Paul sums this up for us beautifully in Galatians 2.21. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Our salvation is either all of grace or all of works. And if our righteousness, if our right standing with God came through even the smallest amount of obedience to God, then Christ died for no reason. Because Christ either did it all or He did nothing. Because if it's 99% Christ and 1% us, we will ruin it. 
but it's all of grace, not our works. And we do not, we do not, do we? We do not nullify the grace of God because we trust Christ. We do not look to our works, but we look to His work done for us. Now here's what's interesting. And this might offend some of you, but don't shoot the messenger, it's the Bible. All evangelicals, pretty much, will agree that you enter into a state of justification by faith alone. That you're initially made right with God by faith alone. But here's where there is some division, okay? Here's where there's some division. The question is, how do you continue in a state of justification? So everyone agrees you enter into justification by faith alone. But how do we continue on in our right standing with God? What must we do to stay justified? And this is where many so-called Protestants will sound more like Roman Catholics than Paul. Right? And this is actually the part of the sermon I'm most excited to get into. Because this is a crucial question for us. Because I know most of us are not going to convert to Roman Catholicism. Right? We already know better than that. But how does a man stay justified? Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. This is what most evangelicals will tell you. You are initially justified by faith alone. Now you live in obedience to God, walking in step with what He's commanded you in Scripture. And when you sin bad enough, you lose your justification. You lose your salvation. And now you need to get it back. Now you need to pray a prayer of repentance and ask Jesus back into your heart and ask Him to save you again. And after you prayed that prayer, you're justified again now. And the cycle repeats. And you hope to God that you die without committing a sin or right after you prayed that prayer. And every night when you go to bed, you ask God, please forgive me for the sins that I've committed and the sins that I don't even know that I've committed because I don't want to go to hell. Does that sound familiar to anyone? That's how a lot of us grew up. That's how I grew up. That is just lazy Catholicism. That's Catholicism with no priest. That's all that that is. Where your obedience to God's commands truly determine whether or not you'll be saved. It's blasphemy. I lived that and so did many of you. And we know it is a hopeless religion of works. In that false system, there is no love for God. There is only fear of hell. And you're always questioning your standing before God. There is never peace. And you'll never know if you'll be saved or not because you never know if you've been good enough or if you've obeyed well enough. And you're always working and working and working, trying to maintain that right standing with God and hoping that you don't sin bad enough to lose your justification. Brothers and sisters, hear me. God has much more for us than that false system. He has much more for you. Paul answers the question, how do we stay justified in this book? And I think it's a little bit veiled, but it's in there. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? 
having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Paul argues in these six verses that since we weren't justified by our obedience to the law, that our obedience now does not factor into our justification. Right? Again, Verse 2, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. What he's asking is, was it by obedience or by hearing the gospel and believing it that saved you? Which one was it? Right, Because if you receive the Holy Spirit, that comes with being justified. So how were you justified? Was it because you kept the law of God so good and then God decided to give you His Holy Spirit and justify you? No! The answer is no! You heard the gospel and believed it. And God justified you. Essentially, in these six verses, it's like Paul's saying, if justification came to you by faith, then how in the world will your works start to factor in now? He says, what was begun by the Spirit, are you now going to perfect it by the flesh? That's foolishness. No way. Our works did not factor into our right standing with God, and they never will. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul drives that point home really clearly to us in another letter he wrote, Romans 1, chapter 16, or verses 16 and 17. You guys know this one. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God, the way to be made right with God, is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So what he's saying is the way to be made right with God has been revealed and it begins and ends with faith. From faith for faith. Beginning and ending with faith. It is never works of, of the law. It's never obedience to God at any part that factors into our right standing with Him. Those who are made right with God are made right with Him by faith in His Son. Works are excluded, beginning, middle, and end. Because hear me, we cannot add to the perfect work of Christ. It's perfect. If you add something to something that is perfect, it is now imperfect. We don't add to anything that Jesus has done. We receive it merely by faith. Beginning, middle, and end. But so often we fall prey to the lie that our works keep us justified. All of us do. Even those of us who are most fluent in Reformed theology, we all fall prey to this. And when we sin, we fall into a pit of despair and worry that God now rejects us. But Paul stands firm in the face of such a lie and says, it's not about you. Hear that. That's good news. Your right standing with God is not about you. It's all about Christ. He has earned your standing with God. You did nothing, and you cannot undo the finished work of Christ. You merely receive it by faith. And you continue to receive it by faith. 
In chapter 5, Paul goes on to tell us what to do now that we are armed with this doctrine of justification by faith alone. What ought we do to this? In the face of other gospels, how do we respond? What do we do whenever we hear the false teachings from Arminianism and from the Roman Catholic Church and from various other groups? What do we do whenever we hear another gospel that says your works factor into your salvation? Galatians 5.1 For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's what you do with this. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free from the law as a system of salvation. He has set us free from law-keeping as grounds for our right standing with God. And He has done so, so that we might be free. For freedom, He has set us free. So now we stand firm. That is military terminology Paul is using. You stand firm. You prepare for a fight if necessary over this. And you refuse to submit. This is the reason Christ has set us free. We accept no other teaching. We fight for this truth. We refuse to become slaves to the law again because Christ has set us free from it. Hear me on this. Like our forefathers who came before us, we die before we submit. We die for this. Salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. We scream this truth to everyone who will listen to us. We do not link arms with those who preach any other gospel. For there is no other gospel that saves We oppose those who preach a false gospel. And we oppose them with truth in love in the hope that God will open their eyes to the gospel that Paul preached. That gospel that has saved our souls and set us free to live to God in Christ. Now before we go into application, I want to be clear on something. You have heard me say all evening that we are made right with God by faith in Christ apart from any works or obedience on our part, and that we remain in a state of justification by faith, again, without any works ever at any point in your life as part of your salvation. And I stand by that, and I'll die for that. But what you did not hear me say is that a justified person will have no obedience. You did not hear me say that a justified person will have no obedience in their life. Follow me on this. The person who has been justified by Christ loves Christ. And the person who loves Christ obeys Him. That's what pours out of a justified person. Obedience pours from us from a heart that loves Christ. But even if we become the most obedient Christians in the world, that still factors nothing into our right standing with God. Just want to be clear on that. So there are two things that I want us to do with this doctrine. There are two responses to this doctrine. They are so, so fitting. The first one is this. Rest in Christ. Let that wash over you for a minute. If you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, unbeliever here, please listen to me. Trust Him. Trust Him. Rest in Him. 
Put your faith in Him. Believe that He has made you right with God. You know that you're a sinner. You know deep down that you deserve the wrath of God because you've broken His commandments. You know that there's something wrong. You know that you're guilty. Trust Him and God will give you His righteousness. God will set you right with Him. He will justify you. Rest in Him. Because for those of us who have rested in Christ and trusted in Him, our strivings have ceased. Our striving has ceased. There is no more work for us to do for our right standing with God because Christ Jesus has done it all for us. Continue to trust Him. On the cross, Christ said, it is finished. And by the decree of Almighty God, it is finished. Rest in Him. And also rejoice in Him. Rejoice in Him. Please hear me. If your faith is in Christ, hear these words that have set so many of us free. If your faith is in Christ, you are saved. That's it. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ, you are saved. You are made right with God. You have been justified. You have received the work of Christ by faith. What a glorious truth for us. Rejoice in this. This should stir our hearts and cause joy in the depths of our souls because Christ has done exactly what He promised to do. What He promised from eternity past to to save a people for Himself by the blood of His cross. God has done it and He has not done it because we were worth doing it for, but He has done it because He loved us. I see no greater grounds for rejoicing than that. God has done for us in Christ what was impossible for us to do by the law. Rejoice. God looks upon you in Christ and accepts you. There's no greater reason for joy. God has done it. He is faithful. We'll end with one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for doing what we could not do. What us weakened by sin cannot do. We cannot obey your law. We cannot satisfy the righteous requirements of the law, but you sent one to be our head for us, to represent us to you and obey on our behalf, to suffer the penalty on our behalf, to redeem us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. You sent your son for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you that it's not by our works, but by Christ, because we don't have good works. We are thoroughly corrupted by our sin. And yet you look upon us with grace and love, and you call us from death to life, and you bring us to life by your Holy Spirit, and give us the gift of faith that we might rely on your Son. Thank you. We are grateful. Christ, thank you for bearing our punishment. Thank you for obeying for us. Holy Spirit, please draw someone else to you.
and give us greater joy, give us greater peace than we have ever had as we contemplate what you have done and what you have given to us by faith. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.